The name's Cardi. Did you just start speaking, Dale? Yeah, I was moaning about the drilling, sorry. Oh, <laughs> That's it, carry that. on, carry on. It's fine. Oh, I can't do roll that Roll with now. it, roll with it. It was going to be bad enough to start with, and now it's just going to be awful. We're going to be talking about James Bond this week, if you haven't guessed. Because um, me and Matt are lucky enough to have seen No Time to Die. Um, it's actually out now actually mm, isn't it no time yeah. to die yeah well there's plenty of time for everyone to see <laughs> it loads now. of time um, to die now exactly loads <laughs> of time that film's finally out we will get to that in a bit but first i want to let both dale and matt who are with me this week get to tell everyone about a beautiful new thing they've brought into the world this week well it's not out yet but this sunday is coming there is a trailer and a deleted scene that are out now that you can check out. But me and Matt, basically for the last six months or so, have been working on this huge, huge piece. It's 37 minutes long, which is a documentary about all the Far Cry villains and basically how they came to be, how it's got all the actors in it talking about it as well and all the creators. And I think it's rather good. Just a bit. Mm. Yeah. I had a look at my emails the other day. The first email we sent about it was about a year ago. It was like late September last Blimey. year. That's because so, it got delayed, I suppose. We were always trying to hit Far Cry's re- release mm-hmm. period. Yeah, so... Um, but yeah, like, sort of feel like I don't know what I'm going to do now. Now it's done. <laughs> like, it's been like that and the big League of Legends things that me that I did with you, Cardi. Kind of like <laughs> these two massive kind of, like, editorial children that I've yeah. been raising for a year. Be out in the world and, and like, gaining hopefully lots of popularity and... Give, me, yeah, give us a like on, on YouTube, please. I know, right? They're always there in the background for us, these big projects. And when they go, yeah, it's like, you're right. It's like kind of you're sending your kids off to school, isn't mm. it? It's like, I've done all I can now. Off you go. <laughs> but There's uh, always more to come, though. <laughs> uh, but yes, it's a, um, like I said, 37 minutes long. We've got all the actors. We've got Giancarlo Esposito, Troy Baker, Michael Mando, Greg Burke as well, all talking at length with some fascinating insight about their characters and also some really cool anecdotes as well, like mm-hmm. the deleted scene, for example. The reason it's deleted is it just pacing-wise didn't fit in the story, but it's about Giancarlo Esposito on the set basically screaming at the entire crew that he was going to kill them all in character <laughs> as well, which is a, a story that you need to check out. It sounds horrific, but also <laughs> very fun at the same yeah. time. I, uh, I will look forward to watching it because I frankly have not found the time to do so yet. But, you know, blame me now if there's a flash frame in there that I didn't spot because I didn't watch it properly beforehand. Honestly, I I don't blame you. I'd be blaming myself because I've seen that thing through a a dozen times. I should have noticed (laughs) it by now. Yeah, it's a good week for stuff. Me and much less uh, serious subjects, me and Joe also made a nice little 25-minute video about the music from the Wii that you might want to check out if you haven't already. If you're a fan of that music, and I mean, who isn't? It's probably the best thing the Wii ever did and the memes uh, big fan and the memes memes. all the memes from the music yeah i mean it basically spawned a new art form (laughs) uh that music so yeah yeah check out that video we've got lots of fun interviews and just it's a fun little video that uh me and joe made so well cool thing about that that is it is it goes from the fundamentals of the music composition to the why is this song funny when we put it onto hotline bling you know (laughs) yeah it's it's got a lot of variety it's really good fun it's good fun. Check them out. We've been we've been busy, which uh, we always are, to be honest. But yeah. you know, we always find time for this podcast, don't we? So, should we get to the actual meat of this mm. particular sandwich, which is, of course, No Time to Die? Matt, you reviewed No Time to Die. You gave it a seven out of ten, which mm-hmm. I thoroughly agree with. I think we're actually 
Oh, do we? We tend to agree, I think, on a lot of things we watch and play. But this, I think, we're pretty much in step. I don't think there's one thing in your review that I really disagree with. Oh, so well done, Cardi. Yeah. <laughs> also, should be pointing out that seven means good on the it's IGN scale. We liked well, it. That's how I feel about the film. Before you go deep into your thoughts, yeah, my base thoughts are: it's an enjoyable film. It's a good Bond film. Firmly in the middle of the Daniel Craig five film run, and. Yeah, it's good. It's just not the amazing send-off I wanted it to be. It just doesn't reach the heights of Skyfall or Casino Royale, which are very high heights for me, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, so for anybody that doesn't know, No Time to Die is the last film that Daniel Craig is doing, and it's not a, like, a, I've said... Like, he did this with Spectre, right? He said that this was his last one, and then they coaxed him back, but kind of like the whole story of No Time to Die is designed to be kind of the concluding sort of segment to his storylines. So it is a film that, you know, kind of back in Casino Royale, it set up the idea of, like, Le Chiffre working as part of this wider agency called Quantum, and then it turned out that Quantum was a division of Spectre. And so this film kind of finishes that kind of long-running storyline. So it is the last one. Like, he's he's definitely out now. And like you say, Cardi, you go into that expecting it to feel like a momentous occasion. Like, you expect it to have significant weight. And it does in certain aspects to it. I think this is... Daniel Craig has always been a very kind of, like, humanised Bond. Like, he's a Bond that actually has genuine feelings of both like rage and kind of like sadness to his role um that most bonds don't because they tend to just be a little bit more you know sly wink in the camera kind of in the line of duty um and so it has elements that cover that um but this is a very odd film that basically feels like two films that were kind of wrenched into one so you've got all of this stuff that is concluding this big kind of specter storyline but it also brings in a new villain that almost wants to be the star of its own film. So what you get mm-hmm. is a first act that has got loads of really good stuff in it. I think kind of, Cardi, me and you felt the same in that like that first act is genuinely very, very good. The first hour of that film, I was like, this is what I want this to be. This is like brilliant, some great action. Like Remind me of Skyfall in some areas, the mm-hmm. way it was shot and some of the just some of the locations. And then, yeah, like you said, the second half, it just changes focus and goes it could have gone two directions and it went the direction i didn't want it Mm -hmm. to go sadly yeah i'd say the first kind of act feels very modern bond it feels in line with things like skyfall and and casino royale Mm -hmm. um a a lot more kind of like wide reaching i like casino royale's focus this doesn't have that this is much more kind of epic in scale but then kind of like in the this is a gargantuan film. It's 163 minutes long. Whoa. So in the final hour and 45, it sort of decides that it wants to properly revisit classic style bonds. And yeah. if you've seen the trailers, you've already seen kind of like, I won't say what they are because if you've been avoiding the trailers, there's no point spoiling such a big movie for you. But there are iconic things you can see in that trailer that are just clearly straight out of the Connery years. Um, yeah. And it starts to do all that, and it kind of almost then feels like it's a bit Bond by the numbers. And you're like, this isn't how I wanted to see this very large kind of like multi-year kind of storyline conclude. It just sort of goes where it does. It ticks a lot of trope boxes and then finishes. 
And the most tropey of those, I think, is Rami Malek's villain, which is just... By the way, we're not spoiling this film at all. We wouldn't do that. Um, but uh, just... I don't think it's necessarily his fault. I don't think he does a bad performance. I just don't think he's given a lot to do. And just... Yeah. I think you wrote it well in your review. He is basically a backstory with a face, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not... He's not much of a... He is there to basically serve the plot and not much like his just his motivations aren't what i thought they would be in this film I mean, and it's arguable yeah. to say that his motivations are barely there he is essentially mm-hmm. like you know when you say to people kind of oh, what's a bond villain it's like well they have a secret weapon um they've got a bad accent and they've got for some reason facial disfiguration yeah, some form of deformity yeah because yeah. that's important to suggest that they're villains because you couldn't have just you know had mm-hmm. a problem with your face that was no fault of your villainy yeah. like no. um but the fact that there's nothing else to him as you say kind of like it builds up this villain across the film and you kind of get this backstory as to who he is and when you finally kind of properly meet him it doesn't do anything to develop on that and it feels very very thin which is a shame considering all of this film is built around what might actually be daniel craig's best performance in this role oh he's he is incredible in this it it feels like such a build over like the layers that he's built up of this character over the years and Mm -hmm. you can tell that kind of like i know there was a lot of press around kind of when specter finished and he was just like quite very vocal about the fact that he was like fucking done with the character and he didn't want to be back anymore um but there's almost there's more you can sort of see the emotion in him where he does clearly believe in the character and he's doing everything he can to kind of be like a first in class delivery of this kind of weapon in a suit kind of thing and it is it's great there's 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 new layers to the character that you've not necessarily seen before that have been hinted in previous films they kind of finally come to fruition here and so as a showcase for what bonds can be or at least what the ultimate form of this bond is i think he does an exceptional job of that it's just a shame that the storyline that he's delivered with that doesn't mm-hmm. live up to this kind of you know you look at obviously not in the same genre but something like avengers endgame which felt like such a colossal full stop at the end of this long storyline of ideas and that's what you'd expect from this. And I think Spectre, sorry, not Spectre, I think Skyfall does that. There's such a, you know, yeah. again, let's not speak around the end of that because people might be seeing these films for the first time now that they're kind of coming in for the finale. But that had got, like, the end of that felt momentous and it felt a big shift for Bond. And while there are some bold storytelling choices in this film, it never feels like a big bonfire finale mm. with a thousand fireworks. Yeah. Can I? Wait, I was going to say, can I ask a question? Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, I haven't seen the film, so um, I understand you might not be able to answer this. But you said this kind of feels like Craig's like last one. It was almost like putting a bow on it. Mm-hmm. But I guess my question is, their Bond is kind of eternal, like as a character. Mm-hmm. So does it do it in a satisfying way, I suppose, is the best way I don't think that? the actual, the very end wasn't unsatisfying to me. I think it satisfyingly ends. I just think... Like, I, I think it quite abruptly ends, but mm. I think okay. I think the last, like, 15 minutes or so aren't, aren't bad at all. I just think the hour before that is kind of a little bit meandering, a little bit of a slog at times. But, I will say you said it's a two and three quarter hour film, but it didn't actually really feel like that. It didn't, it did, it does breeze along quite well. Okay. And 
there's a, I think that's just because there's just a lot of great action scenes that you can't keep your eyes off. Like my favourite one, well, maybe my favourite one, like early on, is one that's qu- featured quite heavily in the trailer, which is like the section in Cuba with Anodamas's character, and she is brilliant. She is so fun in it. She's like genuinely hilarious. Him and uh, it's just the chemistry they had from Knives Out really carrying mm-hmm. over, <laughs> and like she's not in it much which is a shame because she was the best thing in it and also like the best thing from previous bonds like one of my favorite characters is naomi harris's money penny especially from skyfall which is brilliant again just in this just reverts back to classic money penny just at a desk basically just underused and it's quite that's quite disappointing that it doesn't use those characters as much as it should but it definitely is like matt says daniel craig's film and i feel like although it's not the great like masterpiece film i want it to be i do think his he has some great moments and his performance is mm-hmm. like is very much his film and he is fantastic in mm-hmm. it is it anna damas does she play bond's love interest or no Anna's she's a cia okay. agent i was gonna but... say because there's a bit of an age gap there isn't mm-hmm. there? probably like 25 well, there's years a bit of an age gap between uh him and uh Leia 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 oh yeah who yeah plays madeline who i've just and that's another problem i think of the last couple of films is I've just never believed that relationship that much. Like, especially in Spectre, I was just like, this feels a bit forced. Because for me, go- going back to Casino Royale, like, he was fully, like, I bought him and Vesper Lind as a couple and, like, him being heartbroken, mm. like, and recovering from that. Like, that is the race. I believe that fully. And the Madeline has never hit the same heights as that one to me. Like, in my head, he would never recover from the Vesper Lind thing, but... Mm. Like, inspect obviously things changed. Yeah. I do think, though, so, like, Leia Seydoux's performance is very sullen, quite gloomy, um, which does mm-hmm. kind of make it... Because especially by this point, Daniel Craig, even though his Bond is very aggressive and very kind of brutal, um, he has got a good fun side to him that's kind of, like, you know, harks back to that kind of cheekiness of Connery and stuff like that. And so you do wonder kind of like, well, what exactly does he see in this very kind of like stern woman? But while I say the chemistry I don't buy, I do buy the idea of Bond actually being in love and that the fact that they've got a relationship does change a lot of what Bond is in this film. And I think it leads to some really interesting kind of places. But I think to kind of spin it back around to what you were asking, Dale, like the performance feels like the conclusion and the storyline around it is wrapping up the kind of story yeah it's just not the storyline i would have chosen when i think of kind of like how Mm. skyfall kind of tells its story there's a huge kind of element about it that's very much like digging into bond's past and it's kind of like it finishes at kind of like his manner the way he grew up and all of that there's none of that to this it almost just feels like any other bond film that's kind of been had the performance from the finale crowbarred into a film that could have that's, come much earlier. That's exactly in how I feel. Like you almost didn't need the Rami Malek character. You didn't mm-hmm. need to open this new can of worms. Basically, you could have taken everything from the last four films and just built a really solid story with those characters and Spectre. And I'm not a massive fan of Christoph Waltz's Blofeld, but no. <laughs> you know, I would have maybe had him as like I don't know. I just Rami Malek's character. I don't know. He, I feel like they cast this film because they saw he can be creepy. Let's get him in as a creepy <laughs> guy and didn't really think what to do with that character. Yeah, because he's barely in it. Like He doesn't actually have a huge amount of screen time, which I suppose yeah. like 
he's he's barely a character to begin with. So, yeah. but is Bond's biggest enemy himself? Mm. Is it his his, mm. his stubbornness uh, yeah. to get out of his own way? So that's what you've really got to think to yourself. But yeah, people will be seeing that this week, I guess. I mean, we've been waiting what, almost two years to watch it now. It'll be so. interesting to see what they do next with Bond. Like, I assume they're mm-hmm. going to have quite a lot of time out, like because you need some sort of things to reset a little bit yeah. i don't think they'll go back to a casino where like fresh complete reboot but i definitely think they'll take a different i'm like, interested i think we've approach. spoken about it before i'd like them to just not even set it now like just go go completely off of it and do like a 60s yeah, set one or a cool. 50s yeah. set one like because that makes it so completely hmm. away it means you don't have to it means you recast everyone you don't have ray fines or mm-hmm. anyone like that like you just get everyone yeah, new and it feels like a fresh start naturally. That's what I do of anyway. But I'm not Barbara Broccoli, and we, she, well, we all know how she feels about me. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> she won't be letting me do that anytime soon. Uh, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It may sound like a bit negative, but I, I d- generally did enjoy the film. It's just wasn't you know maybe it just I think also the two year wait it just gets built up in your head like oh this is going to be great they're holding on to mm. this for a reason and it is great to see in the cinema as well we'll, well directed like. as well like yeah. um, Fukunaga he doesn't get to bring kind of like the slightly more weird side that he's got in True Detective and Maniac there's none of that kind of adventurous directorial style here but it's a handsome film like real good classic style wide shots of like beautiful locations and seeing an Aston Martin kind of snake around an Italian kind of like mountain and stuff like that, um, and when the action kicks off, it's 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 really well put together. It's very kinetic. It's very not certainly not as loud as Doom was the other week when we saw that. But um, it's, it's Zimo again though. Zimo again. He's having a big couple of weeks, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Oh, do you know who else is having a big week? Billy Magnuson, because he is not only in No Time to Die. But he also gets to play a young Paulie Walnuts in The Many Saints of Newark, <laughs> which I saw last night. Cool. And I've been looking forward to this film for a long time. If you don't know what The Many Saints of Newark is, it is a prequel to, I think, the best TV series ever made, which is The Sopranos. Uh, if you haven't watched The Sopranos, get on that because you will not regret it um but yeah what i will preface this is i bet a lot of people's questions will be can i watch this film without watching the sopranos and there's this is twofold a you absolutely can because it's a prequel set 30 years before the sopranos it's a separate story b i wouldn't because in the first two minutes of this film they drop one of the biggest spoilers from the tv show in some vo okay which I watched this film with a couple of friends who are only halfway through season four of this show and have been trying to watch it all before the film, but they thought, Joel, we'll still go watch it. One of them, good friend of the podcast, Lucy James. Two minutes into that film, all you could hear as that line came out in the cinema was about half of us just laughing that <laughs> they said what they said. Oh, <laughs> so I, if, you are, if you're someone who doesn't care about The Sopranos, which, you know, fair, fair play to you, you could watch this <laughs> film, have a good time. But if you're someone who hasn't watched The Sopranos and you want to watch The Sopranos, do not watch this film. Yeah. I've not seen. I've not seen it, but I've seen The Sopranos, and I'd I'd imagine there's a lot of value to have seen all that because you're, you know, you're learning what Tony was like before The Sopranos. That's that's the yeah. in- element of intrigue, right? I'm sure it has its own story, yeah. but you're not getting half as much if you're just watching it on straight. Exactly. I feel like, and it's a good film. It's it's again, it's probably another seven out of ten film. It's a good film. It's not. And it's ne- it's never going to reach the height of the Sopranos, and I never went into that film going, "This yeah. is going to be the Sopranos," despite being made by the same people. 
but yeah it's just a good story like you said it, it fills a lot of that backstory and there's a lot of nice little jokes and like they actually you see a couple of the scenes that are mentioned in passing from people in like when tony or like janice or someone in the tv show like say like a memory from yeah. when they were kids like you see the actual scene that they were talking about which is quite a fun moment nice. um um how's and- how's gandolfini jr He's very he's very good, mainly because he looks so much like him. It's ridiculous. Like, and it, it's, it's it's so bittersweet because obviously James Gandolfini died so young, and obviously, like I think it was actually his son who found him, like when oh, he shit. like had a heart attack. Like, and his son only watched The Sopranos like just before filming this. So like, it's a very like I think it must it must have been like, one of the more emotionally strange things you could do, which is yeah. try and recreate your father's performance on screen uh who died when you were young but he does an incredible job and there's a couple of scenes in particular where you're just looking at his like mannerisms at a table or his face make a twitch and you're like oh my god that is his face it's it's uncanny like um it's the same with a lot of the performances they got the casting spot on i think uh can't remember the name of the actor the man who plays uh young silvio and the show is very good. He's got all the voice and the mannerisms like spot on. Nice. Um, Corey Stoll plays Young Junior from the show, and he's he's quite good as well. He's a little just physically, he's quite different because Corey Stoll's quite a big human, and Junior's not. But yeah. uh, he was good. Like I, I had a good time. It's not. It's by no means a brilliant film. It's a good film, and it's a fun film. If you know the show, I think you'll get a lot more from it. Like, would you say it's, it's like? essential viewing for a soprano fan or does it just feel like it's a nice little thing to have i'd say it's a nice thing to have like i it was essential for me just because i'm obsessed with the sopranos Mm -hmm. but yeah but is it like if you were to watch the sopranos through and then you're like you have to see this next or is it just like well this is a cool thing i would still very i'd still recommend i think it's a good film that yeah Mm -hmm. you should watch if you like the sopranos and i think it's actually out on like it's in cinemas for a month or so and then maybe hits hbo max soon i think so i don't Mm -hmm. know how over here we're getting it but yeah. i know in america it hits hbo max like i like a the opposite of no time to die or june really like i saw this in the cinema i would have been happy watching this at home because yeah. it's basically it's like two hour tv show basically it feels to me like um although that's not a prequel it's a sequel but el camino with breaking bad just yeah. feels like a cool little extra thing but it's not exactly really essential sort of thing yeah, an easy yeah. watch yeah it felt very much like that and maybe they'll do more i feel like there are same time, I don't want them to kind of spoil the legacy of the Sopranos, but there is room to do more. And I think they've spoken about maybe wanting to do one more of like Gandolfini, uh, Michael Gandolfini playing his dad in his twenties. Like, I don't know. There comes a point where it gets too close to his actual age, and it becomes a bit weird. But uh, there's maybe room for one more. I, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, cool. But yeah, do not if you haven't seen the Sopranos, <laughs> don't, don't don't do it to yourself because it, it won't be enjoyable. Or maybe you just won't remember it. But yeah. I wouldn't do that. Um, another thing I've watched is Midnight Mass on Netflix. I think for the rest of this podcast, basically, it's going to be me talking about lots of things I've watched the last week because we're going to be honest, we haven't really played or what, played anything new this week, have we? I don't think. It's, this is just going to be no. the section where I talk about everything that's good and you guys go, yeah, I'll watch that in a couple of weeks. Yeah, basically, <laughs> that's what my life is right now, I feel like. Like everything that's spoken on my podcast, I'll get round to that in a few weeks. Just started playing Deathloop like this week. Well, so, maybe yeah. I'll, my little reviews of these films and TV shows will inspire you to want to watch them even sooner. i do want to watch so, midnight mass already so it's just exactly on, it's on the list of things to watch 
If you don't know what Midnight Mass is, it is the new Netflix horror show from Mike Flanagan of The Haunting of Hill House fame and Hush and Doctor Sleep. Probably the best horror director working at the moment. And this show is absolutely brilliant. It's only seven episodes. I watched it in like two sittings. I watched like three on Friday night, four on a Saturday night. Just went through it because it is that good. It sounds is, intense though for a horror show just non-stop that's the thing it's not a is it more where of a thriller? Is you, it's not even more of a thriller I, I would say it's more of a drama like you know hill house is is a horror but at its core it's really a family yeah, drama yeah. this is at its core a, a kind of a drama about an island settlement and a church is what it is okay. but it obviously has horror elements i'm yeah. not i'm not going to spoil what those horror elements are because really going into this show not knowing much at all is the best way to watch this so i'm gonna really talk around everything here okay. but for me it was absolutely fantastic i finished watching it i was like and i thought this is really good not quite as good as hill house in my head but the more i thought about it over the last few days the more i've real and the more i've read about it the more i've realized this could be as good if not oh, better shit. than hill house it is especially towards the end it's got that sort of blend that mike flanagan seems to do so well of kind of keeping you on edge and scared but also caring so much about characters you've only known for about two hours Mm. and building because it's set on this island and it's like an island settlement not that many people there must only be a couple of hundred people that live on this island if that and just getting to know that intimate world so well and building out this world and its history in a few episodes is just so good and it's a it's a slow burn is what i'd say it's only seven episodes but it is still quite a slow burn and yeah i'm really trying to talk around it like the performances (laughs) are incredible um the priest what's his name hamish um hamish linklater from midnight mass is unbelievable like he plays the if you've seen the poster he plays the father of the church basically and he is unbelievable and also his like kind of really religious woman called bev as well on the island who's kind of creepy as well and just there's just so many good performances and it really just make you believe in these characters and at its core is kind it's about faith and indoctrination and there's a lot of our allegorical stuff going on. Like each episode is named after a different book in the Bible. And, right. you know, it's very much hitting those points. And I think it's done. I'm not a religious person at all. I will preface this by saying, but I've seen a lot of people who are very religious people saying, so I think you run the risk when you do a religious horror thing of it being a bit cynical and being a bit like laughing at people who are religious and like saying religion is scary. Like don't do this. Whereas I've seen a lot of people who are religious saying it handles it very well and comes from a place of like it's not really warning you about religion it's just it's more of it's just a thing it's a story about faith and mm. a warning about indoctrination more than anything and yeah it's it's brilliant it's i don't based, know if you have any questions it's based on a book right i remember him when he <laughs> when mike no, came to the first idea so this is it? the thing he's this is created completely from his mind but oh, he has seeded it in so it so think in like Gerald's game, there is a book called Midnight Mass on but a bookshelf, started, but he seeded that in there. Well, it's oh. from Hush, isn't it? So in yeah. Hush, Kate Siegel's character is writing a book called Midnight Mass. Oh, yeah. And I think yeah. it originally started was that they needed a book for her to be writing. And Flanagan mm-hmm. was just like, 
I've got this thing that I was writing and I've never got around to doing anything with it. So we're just going to stick it in Hush. And the first lines that she's writing on the laptop, from what I understand, are the first scenes of Midnight Mass, cool. the TV show. But since then, the book has become this thing that's just in, like, as Cardi says, in Gerald's game on the shelf above the bed is the book. Right. And it's just yeah. kind of cropped up in Flanagan stuff. It's like the, the, the cigarettes and Tarantino movies, mm. I think, whatever yeah. they're called. <laughs> he's, um, so, yeah, he's finally made it. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And don't go in expecting a laugh necessarily. It's quite a slow burn horror. And like Haunting a Hill House, if you haven't watched that, it's quite sad at times as well. Like, it's... It's just very good, and yeah, I'm at the point in Mike Flanagan where it's just like whatever he's making, I just want to watch. Oh, yeah. I will say that I still haven't watched Blind Manor, which I will get around to watching. I was going to ask Manor. you about that, what you thought about it in comparison to Blind Manor, because yeah, I still haven't got around. To it. I did enjoy that, um, but I do. I'm struggling to remember much about it now. I kind of found it. I think it just sort of came and went, and I quickly forgot about it. Whereas Hill House has really stuck with me. I think mm-hmm. for me, Blind Manor was kind of a bit more kind of like intimate because it deals with a smaller collection of characters. Whereas there's that real family drama element to, to Hill House because it's like it's covering these different generations of people and kind of like the sprawlingness of how horror can infect a whole mm. set of family members. With Blind Manor, it's almost more of a haunted love story, isn't it? It's kind of yeah. much more kind of closer mm-hmm. knit. Um, I like both of those shows a lot, mm. and I have a week off, and I'm going to be watching Midnight Mass very quickly through that yeah. week off. Yeah, it's kind of got... Um, yeah, I'm trying to even say what sort of horror it is, but it's kind of almost got... Especially bits of it reminded me of, like, especially the opening of The Exorcist. I don't know if that will uh, speak well for you, man. Well, the it's thing not, is... Not the, <laughs> like, the opening of The Exorcist is much more about the religious stuff and mm-hmm. sort of almost like the ancient stuff. And, like, yeah, they remind me a lot of, like, the first third or so of The Exorcist. So while we, you know, it's obviously the joke that I have is that I I hate, I'm terrified of The Exorcist and was for kind of years, <laughs> which is why I never got around to watching it. When I did watch it last year, I did think it was incredible. Like, mm-hmm. it is now one of mm-hmm. my favourite horror films of all time. Um, and I really like religion as a basis for horror, kind of like quite oh, a I lot of I find it terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> quite a lot of the horror stuff I like has that. Because religion is a supernatural element that has become so normal in people's lives that it's kind of fun to see the kind of horror, like reading mm-hmm. into the Bible and realizing like there's a lot of real fucked up sort of stuff here. And the way that humans have interpreted the Bible, especially, has led to yeah. real fucked up types of people. Yeah. Um, and I find that really fascinating and a real great hotbed for kind of creativity and horror. I really like it. Yeah, I think I think you're gonna have a great time with this. I predict you will love it because, and I want more people to talk about it because the more the more I think about it, the more I think this is an absolute masterpiece and maybe the best thing I've watched this year. I, I still I think mean, maybe Mayor of East Town is. I, I loved Mayor ooh, of East Town. That was a good show. It's up there at the moment. Uh, but yeah, one more thing I watched. Uh, the Green Knight is a film I've been looking forward to for like two years as well. It just um, wouldn't come out. They just kept like just coming out in other countries, but not here. Exactly. And it didn't, it, it was going to come out here like three months ago or so. Yeah. I think it was ready to come out. And, and like, then like last minute, the last they, minute. <laughs> they pulled it. I was like, what? I'm like, come on, just let me see this film. <laughs> and it is one I wanted to see in the cinema, but I just, out of nowhere last Friday, it just dropped on Amazon Prime. I didn't even know it was coming on Amazon mm-hmm. Prime. So, I just saw it and I was like, well, I'm watching that tonight. Um, <laughs> if you don't know what The Green Knight is, it is a medieval 
film with <laughs> Dev Patel in. I'm trying to I'm trying to speak around things yeah, again. Yeah. It's um basically it's a medieval tale about Sir Gawain, who is the nephew of King Arthur, and it's kind of a it's almost like a fable the way it's told. It's like a very like old school story. It's two hours. I will say this is a very slow burn. I feel like from the trailers, it looks quite action packed and like full of, and it is one of the most beautifully shot films I've seen in a long time, but it looks like there's a lot of action. There's a lot of swords flying, some fire. It's a very slow paced film. It's basically one man's journey across a region where he talks to a lot of people along the way and learns lessons. It is not, don't go into this film if you're expecting some sort of, I don't know, a knight's tale. Well, you're not yeah. getting a nice tale. I said to you before the podcast started that I've not even seen a trailer for this. I've only seen like images and stuff. Yeah. I have completely the wrong idea about this film. I thought it was like some sort of dark, gritty, like medieval superhero thing. No, no, there's no superheroes. So basically, it's um, written. It, sorry, is it written? I don't. It's directed. It is written as well by um, David Lurie, who did. A, is it a ghost story or ghost story? I think it's ghost a ghost story, story isn't it? Yeah. Which is not actually a horror film, despite being called a ghost story. So he likes to almost like, not subvert genre away, but like kind of, he's all about mood pieces from what I've seen of his right. work. And this is very much following that. Follows, Like I said, it follows Dev Patel, who basically, I think wants to prove himself to be a man, is what I got from it. And right at the start of this film, a character who is called the Green Knight enters king arthur's court and the green knight is like a he almost looks like an ent he's like a tree he's almost made of like wooden tendrils and he's voiced by chris finch from the office is he? which is always <laughs> a bonus yes um because he just has a great voice if you yeah. need a voice or a character pick him and he basically sets this this is all within the first five to ten minutes of this film so i'm not spoiling this is just the premise of this film basically sets a challenge for anyone in that room to prove their worth like you allowed one strike on me, like challenge, and you can have my axe if you defeat me in combat. Um, so basically, Dev Patel's character says, I will take up this challenge to prove myself. And the Green Knight just stands there, and Dev Patel decides to just lob off his head <laughs> but the and take his axe. The twist is that the Green Knight's deal for his game or his bargain is in exactly one year next Christmas Day you have to find me in my, basically, where I live. You have to travel and find me, and I get to return the same blow you gave to me. So Dev Patel kind of accepts this bargain, but you kind of think at the time he's like, well, if I just lob off his head, then he's got no return. I just have his axe and I prove my worth. Well, little does he know that the Green Knight (laughs) just picks up his own head and walks away. (laughs) So basically, the rest of the film is an hour and three quarters of Dev Patel a year later on his way to find the Green Knight to fulfil this bargain that was set to him. And he kind of just comes across different characters along the way. Like, it's very much, like I said, almost like an old school, like, fable of, like, learning lessons and learning about himself on the way. It's a slow burn. I don't think it'll be for everyone. I really liked it. Some great performances, like I said, beautifully shot. Dev Patel's just turned into such a good actor. Like, I remember when I first saw him on Skins, back in the day, like, (laughs) this guy's fun. Saw him in Slumdog Millionaire, which I think is a fine film. He's perfectly good in. But, like, now I watch him and it's just like, he's fantastic. And I would watch it. Why is he not in more stuff? I want to watch Dev Patel in more stuff now. <laughs> but, yeah, I, the, I really um, liked it. Are and the it fantasy elements well. 
vaguely kind of de Toro-ish? Is it that kind of like Pan's Labyrinth? That's kind of very there's dark a little fable. Bit, there's not there's not too much fantasy to it. Okay. If you've seen the trailer, there's one or two little bits that are very just out of the boot, like, okay, this is not of our world, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But for the rest of it, it's very human. There's like, it's got that sort of medieval King Arthur thing of like, there is some sort of like, do you believe in magic sort of thing, like going through the earth sort of thing. So it's a bit of that, but like I said, it's a it's a slow burn. It's not an act. You're not getting the Lord of Rings. You're getting a slow burn. How many times I'm going to say slow burn? <laughs> I don't know. It's a slow burn. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, check it out if you want a, something different to watch. It's on, it's on Amazon Prime to watch for free right now. Yeah. And it was worth the wait. I would give it a... Do you know what? I'd give it a 9 out of 10. Bloody hell. I'd also give Midnight Mass a 9 out of 10. Maybe even... I'd even maybe give Midnight Mass a 10. Whoa. Do you know what? I'd maybe even... I'd, I'd go there. What should I watch? For, I've got two Netflix shows I want to watch. Yeah. I've got Midnight Mass and I've got and I've just completely blanked on the name of it the Korean Squid Game Squid, Squid Game. Game that's it yeah I was going to say Slime Game which shall different. I watch first I don't know do you, are you in the mood for reading because Squid Game you'll have to read with, with subtitles on I don't mind that as long as it's a good show like I just yeah, want to see it's, a good show I think they're both seven episodes well Squid Game might be eight so they're both similar a Squid Game's much more of a laugh <laughs> if you're in something more fun <laughs> yeah maybe um, I'll just see how I feel on the day that'll have That'll have more twists and cliffhangers. That um, whereas Midnight Mass is, yeah, if you're into it, Midnight Mass is a better show, right. I think, by okay. quite a bit. But Squid Game is equally very good. Uh, it's a bit, more, yeah. It depends if you're in for more of a laugh, or if you're are you in for like murderous Takeshi's Castle, or are you in for slow religious horror? Uh, the answer is know. both. Uh, no, <laughs> okay. I'm trying to work Just out which one. Then. <laughs> I could do that. One episode of each and I, <laughs> I, I did that. Yeah. I think I watched the first two episodes of Squid Game, then watched all of Hinai Mass, and then watched... Uh, I haven't even finished Squid Game yet, so mm. I'm looking forward to see how it ends. But yeah. The last thing we're going to talk about <laughs> is another film <laughs> that I haven't seen yet, but is only out in, I think, two months now, which is, if, if you know me, so you know this was a big big moment for me the first trailer for the new paul thomas anderson film dropped this week licorice pizza it's finally got a name it's conceptual title for years people soggy have been calling bottom. it soggy bottom yeah <laughs> it's now officially called licorice pizza um which i we- think is a slightly is a better name also um, licorice pizza could have a soggy bottom depending oh, on how badly you cooked it honestly exactly. i'm struggling like to licorice i was st- struggling to think of anything that would not compliment licorice as well as a pizza. <laughs> Maybe sushi. Do you, think the, do you think the licorice would be on the pizza or like melted like a licorice base? Oh, that's even yeah. worse. Oh, Does no. licorice melt? <laughs> licorice stuffed crust? Oh, yeah. oh. No. Or like pipes around the edge. It of depends it. what type yeah, of licorice yeah. we're just talking like, about, right? Well, if you just did like a big red vine through like the stuffed oh, crust. I was thinking like pizza. licorice no, all sorts sprinkled on top of the pizza. Nah. <laughs> I don't know. Good. Anyway, <laughs> who knows what licorice pizza really means yeah. because I haven't seen the film yet, but just watch the trailer if you're into it. I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson is the best director in the world, if you ask me. You've got Dale B. Blood, you've got Boogie Nights, you've got The Master, you've got Phantom Fred, you've got more. You've just, it's, he's just the best. Never made a bad film. This one Magnolia. reasonably <laughs> light in comparison to a lot of his work. It does, but I imagine there'll be some hev- heavy stuff in there. I'm think- To me, it very much... I think it's see. It looks like it's, it's set in the seventies, mm-hmm. and it looks very much like 
kind of like not um more like a coming of age i suppose boogie nights is a coming of age story but a slightly younger more innocent version of boogie nights mm-hmm. um it stars alana heim from the band heim and oh. cooper hoffman the son of philip seymour hoffman which talking about more heartbreaking things of sons playing their acting dads who died young there's there's another one i mean if he's half as good as his dad then he'll, he'll be a brilliant actor mm. but yeah and it's got bradley cooper so it looks like he has one of those mad like fun roles to play where he's just kind of going a bit crazy uh but yeah don't really know a lot about this film apart from the fact that i'm very excited and i imagine it will be amazing because i do not doubt that man one bit but yeah get excited for licorice pizza guys <laughs> and if you haven't watched there'll be blood do yourself a favour and soak it in. Um, do you know what I want to do now, though? Because I've been speaking non-stop now for about <laughs> yeah. half an hour. I want Dale to host an endless search. <laughs> Fuck it, why not? Inside, it's a UK IGN crew. Shit. Yeah, yeah, and the ones and twos. We got the games gonna play for you. Inside, I got a question for you. Hold tight, the DJ, we're coming through. Yeah, yeah, and the ones and twos. We got the games gonna play for you. Inside, I got a question for you. Is it in the search? Guys, everyone's been clamoring for it. And when I say everyone, I mean me. I want to do it again. It's the return it. of sometimes it's called How Long Did I Last? Sometimes it's called Guess My Length, <laughs> and other times it's called oh, Games That no. Made Me Come. <laughs> oh, no. But that's just not accurate. Oh. <laughs> so, well, that's Joe. That was Joe's contribution, to be fair. So this is a game where I... So on the PlayStation, you can now see how long you've clocked in on games. So this is a game where I've gone through and I've gathered data for both you boys, and I'm going to test your knowledge. Although, I'm not going to make it easy. You're not. I'm not going to be testing your knowledge on yourself. I'm going to be testing the knowledge of the other your competitor i should say so i've got five games and cardi i'm gonna ask you how long you think matt has played this game for and matt i'm gonna ask you how long you think cardi's played for uh i do have tiebreakers if required Uh, okay uh i guess i should select so let's say matt you go first on this so i'm gonna ask you how long cardi has played mass effect the legendary edition (sighs) oh now does this count all three games, then? Yes, it counts. Right, yeah, it does. I think I know how long I roughly spent on that. Uh, That's why I didn't ask you. That, I know. <laughs> now, the thing is, Cardi, I know, unlike me and Dale, you didn't platinum these games, did you? I didn't, but I did do, like, every DLC, did do every pretty much every mission. Oh, I would say, uh, sorry, in terms of the scoring system, whoever gets the closest to their one gets the point. Right. I get it. That I get sense. it. I got it. Um... So, Matt, you're up first. How long has Cardi played Mass Effect The Legendary But I would edition? also bear in mind that, you know, it's my first time through these games. Maybe I spent a long time reading codexes, mm-hmm. learning about this world. But you're maybe to- I Don't let him colour your opinion. He wants you to get it wrong. <laughs> maybe I mainlined him. Maybe I didn't do it. <laughs> I'm going to say 73 hours. Okay. I'm going to wait. And I'm going to, Cardi, I'm going to get your answer. How long do you think, Matt? So, I, in my head, I think I... Think I played it around 85 i think okay and i feel like because matt i don't know if matt platinum all three of them or not i know he definitely platinumed yeah, at least platinum one, or one two did you oh, that's the only one i didn't bother with no nah. i just got through it i i'm gonna go you spent a little bit longer than me i'm gonna go for i'm gonna say you spent 91 hours playing these games 91 hours okay so 
Matt, you said Cardi had spent 73 hours. Mm -hmm. He actually spent 83 hours. So it's 10 hours difference. So I need to be within 10 of 91. Yes. Cardi, you said 91 hours. Matt has spent 85 hours. Cardi, you get that point. It was close. Four hours in it. You did spend a little bit more than me, though. I was was very grateful you both didn't say, like, 84 for that one, because that would have been bang in the middle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That would have been annoying (laughs) for you. Okay, one nil to Cardi. Next game, Outriders. Bear in mind, all these games are obviously the PS4, PS5 versions, no PCs or anything like that included. So, Outriders. Mm -hmm. So, Cardi, how long has Matt spent playing Outriders? (sighs) It must have spent it. I think you maybe spent about 10 hours less than me because I went on to platinum that game for some unknown reason to myself. Um, You're giving him hints here. I uh, already knew that he platinumed it. uh, (laughs) But then... I don't know how long I spent playing that game. I'm going to say, Matt, that you spent an even 20 hours playing that game. 20 hours? you did finish the story, I believe. Mm, And it took us a little while. Yeah, not that it gave me all the trophies for it, because it just decided not to give me. That's why I never <laughs> went for the plat, because I'm like, I'm not going back all over there and doing those story quests. So, Matt, how many hours do you think Cardi spent? I reckon Cardi did 45. 45? I don't think I did that long, did I? Um, uh, okay. If I have, I'm sorry to everyone if I played outright. I will let you know hours. that one person is spot on, the exact amount of hours. Oh, Matt. surely I did not play 45. Cardi, you played 45 hours of Outriders. Oh, <laughs> Matt gets the point. Uh, that's disappointing, that, isn't it? <laughs> you had fun. In every way, time. I am disappointed. <laughs> it's not a bad game. It ah, just. It's good. It was good fun, I it thought. It could have been. I think I had fun. I just wanted to have much more fun with yeah. it. Okay, and, next up yeah. Deathloop. Just this is a fresh two one. for spot on, by the way. I, I'm happy of him getting two points. For this yeah, part. we're making the rules up as we go. Why not? Yeah, no, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like you should. The thing about Deathloop is, is this won't be accurate because um, it's missing about ten or so yeah. hours. Oh, because okay. I had to play it offline also, during review time. So the only answer just I'll bef- accept is the one that was on PlayStation. Mm-hmm. And also, just before this podcast, we had the exact conversation <laughs> about how many hours I spent playing Deathloop, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if Matt remembers that, and I can't remember. But it's you first. Yeah. It, Matt? Yes. Matt, how many hours has Cardi spent on Deathloop? I think according to PlayStation. Mm. I think, according to PlayStation, Cardi will have played about 20 hours of Deathloop. Okay. Just making my notes. And Cardi, how many hours do you think Matt has spent on Deathloop? A, a lot more. <laughs> um, I reckon you're... I reckon you're at like 52 hours now. I reckon you've played a, a lot. Got that plat, can't stop playing as Juliana, oh, just loves it. It's very Got that blood first. It's very tight. Matt, you said Cardi spent twenty hours. Mm-hmm. According to PlayStation, you've spent twelve hours. Ooh. See, that's why I said it's a lie. Because <laughs> for a whole day there, I'm sure it didn't accept what I played. I've played at least like sixteen, seventeen. All right. Well the rules are PlayStation. Yeah. And the difference that's is fine. eight hours. Cardi, you said Matt spent 52 hours. He actually spent 43, which is a difference of nine. So, Matt, oh. you sneak the point. Mm-hmm. You probably so are I right think... overall, Cardi, because obviously I, was, I had to play it offline when it first started. Mm. So, overall. But to be honest, you would have been much closer because mine's also wrong, I think. Mm-hmm. Maybe I was offline as well. Maybe that's why it hasn't registered. Mm, maybe. I don't know. 
The next game, and this is going to be a tricky one, Apex Legends. Mm. <laughs> so I'm not going to give away how much I think I've played that. <laughs> Cardi, how long do you think Matt has spent playing Apex See, Legends on PlayStation? On PlayStation, that's the thing. I don't know. I know Matt did used to play quite a bit of Apex, but I know that he did play it for a long time on PC. Mm. So on PlayStation, this could be anything. <laughs> it's the game. I'm going to say it's actually really low. I'm going to say you've only played like eight hours of PlayStation Apex. Okay. And Matt, how many hours is could be miles off so you could guess anything and be right. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to say, like, I know that Cardi likes it, but I don't think you ever got hooked, did you? So I'm going to say about 26 hours. I'm going to say that... Uh, uh, I'm not even going to do the maths on that lot. one. <laughs> Cardi wins that round. So Cardi spent 116 hours playing oh, really? Apex. Matt, it says you're 13 hours on PlayStation oh, really? as well. But yes, Cardi, you get the point. In that so first year, I did play that game a lot, to be fair. Right. So it's 3-2, and this is the last one. So it's all to play for. There is a spanner in the works on this one. Ooh. So the game is Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart. Now... I know Caddy has played this game because I, <laughs> yeah, I know Caddy has played this game because I did work with him about this game. But it I've says platinum. But it says you've never played this game. What? Yeah, <laughs> I looked through your list several times. It is not there. So I don't know. If, did you sink your trophies? I'm not, well. Yeah, I've got the platinum. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm how, also, like, how are you going to sort this out then, Dale? I. Why have you who also this has game? the platinum? Will be the stand-in. <laughs> Uh, so what you have to guess how much Dale plays basically so Cardi you guess how much I've done and Matt you guess how much sorry no yeah yeah you know I guess Matt we've all got the platinum though Uh, but there's different hours they're different yeah okay so let's go Cardi how many hours has Matt do I think Matt's played yeah It doesn't take too long to platinum that game. 19. 19. Okay. Matt. Maybe a little low. How many hours have I spent playing Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart? Hmm. Now, the thing is, <laughs> you got day one plat, didn't you? Yes, mate. Which, which <laughs> meant that you, got to, you played it without a walkthrough. Yep. And I think there might have been like oh, yeah. a couple of things that I looked up in a guide just to make sure I mm-hmm. could do the last bit. So I'm going to say, because it's a bit trickier to do things when you don't have a guide, you're 22 hours. Okay. It's close, isn't it? Cardi, well, Matt, you said I had 22 hours. Mm-hmm. I had 27 hours. Ooh. It took me a long time to find some of those collectibles. <laughs> <laughs> I remember me and you going through like i thought i'd hit every one of those interdimensional stones i just had to start a new game and do them again to find them all <laughs> and um so that's a difference of five hours ricardi you said matt had played for 19 hours 19 it was 20 hours you're one oh. hour off which puts us in a position where it's free all <laughs> so, hey. now the tiebreaker was going to be i've got the list of well, my hours for the rest of the games we've already previously spoke about <laughs> So let's just pick okay. let's just pick one at random and see who's the closest. So Mass okay. Effect, let's say Mass Effect, Mass Effect Legendary Edition. How many hours did I put in? Uh, let's both just submit answers and then see where we get. Uh, 
Well, knowing Dale, he did plot all three. No, just uh, two of them. You didn't do... Oh, you didn't even... Oh, um, Mass Effect mm, 1's mm. a bit of a slog. To I don't like that game. Yeah. So, yeah. so I'm going to actually say... I'm going to... Have you got an answer ready, Matt? I'm, I'm going to say it is 74. Okay. Matt. So I was actually thinking around that region because... I'm going to guess, Dale, did you skip quite a lot of dialogue in this playthrough? Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Depends yeah. how boring I find it. Yeah, because I know, I know you're not a huge RPG kind of guy, whereas mm-hmm. for me it's sacrilege to skip, <laughs> skip conversations. I didn't skip all of it, just like mm-hmm. if I wasn't enjoying dialogue, I would just sure. skip past it. Um, so yeah, somewhere, I'm going to say 76. <sighs> just overcome. Because... I don't, you, didn't you just skip one altogether, though? You didn't no. play uh, it, No, I did. I finished it, but like I did it so oh, fast okay. and got is through your, it. Basically. Is your Mass Effect 1 playthrough like 16 hours long or something like that? Something like that, less yeah. maybe. Whereas mine's um, like 24. So the answer is 62 hours, which means, Simon Caddy, you are the winner. You played through all of one and Platinum 2 and 3 in 62 hours. You didn't read any dialogue. <laughs> well, for one, I've played all those games before as well. Yeah. So if it were, if I knew it was a boring like dialogue, no. whatever. But as yeah, long I as would... you had a nice time. Hey, I had a great time. Two and three are fantastic games. One, exactly. not so much. There, you go. there we go. That's the game. Good stuff. Good game. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for providing us with with all the fun. <laughs> uh, now we've got some some feedback. First up, Matthew. I'll cut this one in from David Brander, who says, Hi team, in a recent podcast, Matt said something along the lines of, Who needs games when you have imagination? (laughs) Someone with aphantasia, that's who. If you don't know, aphantasia is the inability to voluntarily create mental images in one's mind. For some, like me, it also extends the inability to hear an internal dialogue, recall smells or tastes, and so on. Obviously, I can still think, but I just don't hear a voice. As someone who didn't find out phrases such as in your mind's eye weren't just metaphorical, and actually some people do see things in their mind, until only a couple of years ago, so until only a couple of years ago, I sometimes wondered if having aphantasia contributes to why I enjoy playing games. While I don't play as much as I used to, I find going into new worlds that I could never imagine myself and playing through stories I could never bring to life myself is awesome. Mm. A question for the panel. Does anybody else have any form of aphantasia? And if you do, how has it influenced your choice of games or media? While I don't really enjoy horror as a genre, since I don't have a visual memory, I can I can see something and immediately forget it, so I don't see scary monsters in the corner of rooms. I've always been a fast reader. Perhaps that's because I don't have an internal film playing out in my head while I read. Anyway, sorry for the long email. I've been listening to the podcast for many years and enjoy the changing lineup week to week. So we get to hear different thoughts and opinions. Thanks from David. That's crazy. Except this week where all you've done is hear my opinion. Um, <laughs> I That is... It's one of those things that's so hard to comprehend. Yeah. I, I don't have any form of that. And no. it's something that's so... I know this is kind of always meta in a way, so hard to imagine in my head what mm-hmm. that's like to not have that... I'm just trying to think. It's almost ironic that you can't that. imagine. No, I know <laughs> what, what you mean. Like, like, it's... <laughs> yeah, I don't. That's insane. I, I, I guess like there must be like obviously you know there's a some negative side, but there must be some positive in terms of you're not thinking ahead to like what a twist in a movie could be and, and things. Well, like I guess that, you actually. can still. Cause that that's that's less to do with 
imagination that's more to do with like being able to logically predict i suppose right? yeah but i'm thinking imagination is like you you can think of theoretically like all the possibilities of what this could well, be what can do, could be. still do that that's logic Maybe. it's just that he wouldn't physically see those in his mind's eye so okay. my um previous dungeon master for my previous Dungeons and dragon campaign had a fantasia which seems weird for someone that's running a campaign <laughs> where you are literally imagining the game in your head um he got on quite well i suppose like you get to be a little bit more like because you're not thinking of all this stuff you have to perhaps like write down more kind of like description but right. the description i suppose means less to you because you're not physically constructing something in your head when you've got that i know of um one of the lead writers on silicon valley i think had got um a fantasia which was again one of those like you don't assume creative talents would blossom out yeah. of that kind of condition but it's obvious that he doesn't stop people from from doing those kind of cool things but as someone who when i do read a book i have a film play out in my head yeah. and i also assign voice cast so for example when i read dune uh, liam neeson was the voice for duke uh, leto atreides for me kind of like i do all of that when i read yeah and to me that's part of the enjoyment but obviously if you have a fantasia i assume you come up with a different form of enjoyment for reading yeah that's crazy i wonder that's how it fine. works very interesting like so something i really like doing is reading books after i've seen movies and tv mm-hmm. shows that they're based on and i just i sometimes i find them more enjoyable easier to process because i already know what everything looks like yeah um, i'm wondering if that would have any positive benefits like would you do that I'm, basically i'm just struggling to comprehend this mm. yeah like, well like he mm-hmm. says kind of like he he doesn't get the monsters in corner rooms because he forgets something immediately once you've seen it i know yes. for example like people that have this can sometimes obviously not be able to apply the memory of faces right. so you're learning mm-hmm. how to recognize people off different elements of them rather than just kind of like i remember your face and i can immediately put face to name and stuff like that um, just a different way of uh, of living, I suppose. Yeah, it's, no, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the email, David. Uh, Dale. Yeah. I've got one. So I've got this email from Grant Miles, and he says, Hey all, your talk of Mullacorn and yogurts reminds me of a flavour I used we're, to enjoy. Now we're back on track. <laughs> <laughs> I used to enjoy as a youngster that tragically no longer exists, the strawberry crumble. I think this was the name anyway. Back in the day, this used to be the best of all the flavours by far, and I'm baffled as to why it's discontinued. If unfamiliar, as the name suggests, it was basically strawberry yoghurt with the side bit consisting of tiny pieces of crumble. Do any of you lot remember this? The strawberry shortcake flavour seems to be the modernised version of it, but it's definitely not as good. Also, I never understood the point of the ones that just have fruity jam as a side bit. Why wouldn't you just buy a yoghurt of that flavour? Anyway, love the podcast, keep up the work. Cheers and respect that big old C. Because you can keep the jam and the yoghurt separate. No, I'm with him on that. You don't have to mix it. It's like, if I'm buying one of those yoghurts, I want it to be dirty, you know? I I I want it to be, like, really unhealthy. Like, it needs to be, like, chocolate and crumble and sweets and stuff, and not just, like, a bit more yoghurt. I will say... um, I think the strawberry shortcake is, is quite a sensation. That is the one I like as well, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. It is good. So uh, I don't know if I'd have to have a side comparison with the crumble of old to really know <laughs> which is better, but the shortcake one is good. I think we've gone through, we've not really talked about your yogurt habits. Uh, Dale, are you someone who has a yogurt um, in the fridge regularly? I'm, I'm almost never, to be honest. Um, but the odd occasion, it'll be like buying the strawberry shortcake is like 
this is a dessert for me tonight. I don't really have yogurts that often. Like I tend to have them when I have weird, when I'm on holiday and we've got like a breakfast like buffet or something, I'll tend mm. to grab a yogurt then, but that's like the only time. I, I like a little bit of yogurt and granola. If, if that's on offer, mm. I will partake. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if people have got good yogurt stories out there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not saying a yogurt special will happen, but you know, it's, it's another avenue in front of us that like, could, could, could happen. Could be opening up a can of worms there, but what possible fun stories could be involved oh, with yogurt? mate, just them open your... <laughs> I mean, open your... We had, we had one man who basically tore his anus in half eating a sandwich. The the possibilities are endless. <laughs> what a I don't remember that one. <laughs> just you to, didn't listen to the sandwich I did, special. I did, but I don't... Oh. It's the last story. It's... Oh, I have to revisit it. Everyone was get it, back to that. I think I had to read that one out, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, were, you were crying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, uh, to cap, by the way, uh, Grant's story off, I think I know why the strawberry crumble doesn't exist anymore. My Ooh. memory is that it was part of a limited edition range of Muller Corners that were all based off desserts. Because oh, there was the strawberry crumble, there was the Mississippi mud pie, there was like an eaten The Mississippi mess. mud pie was Ooh. good. Do you know mm-hmm. what one is good? The one. the cornflake one, the chocolate cornflakes with the In banana yogurt. So. Yeah, banana yogurt. Yeah, mm. they're good. Oh, so that's my favourite classic long term one. But I do remember this kind of like limited edition set of dessert inspired ones, and yeah. I think the strawberry crumble was part of that. Cardi, I, uh, did you say I have you're a not hoops one in the fridge? Cardi, did you say you're not a banana man or I'm not banana man? <laughs> I'm Just... not a banana. Both apply. <laughs> both both do apply, but. Uh... Not big into banana flavor things. Do you know what um, exciting life uh, change for me last night actually was uh, uh, after watching The Many Saints in Newark, went to a, a really nice Italian restaurant in London uh, to, to to eat Italian food. It only seems right after watching Science Sopranos related. And for the first time in five years, I thought, do you know what? I'm going to give olives another go because I've hated olives all my life. They're an acquired taste. Yeah. Had a couple of olives last night. Do you know what? Might be into olives now. Oh, what? He's an olive boy. I tell you what, I don't yeah, like I olives on their own, but stick olives on a pizza or oh, in a no, pasta no, no, sauce no, no, no. or something like that. I like the the little saltiness that you get from it. Yeah, I, I, I ate an olive. Not what was uh, what was your main in the Italian? What'd you get? Oh, do you know? What? So did you have gabagool? It was from these really celebrate. nice places. Uh, <laughs> do you know? What? We did have antipasti start the most amazing like uh, mozzarella and like parma ham and focaccia, right. and then it's one of these places where. So there were six of us, and they do like a lot of their pasta things. You have to buy in twos and share them between yeah. two of you. So you could get, if you wanted, the carbonara that's, you know, kind of like twirled around in the cheese that yeah. they serve it to you. I'm not a huge carbonara fan, though. So Making me really hungry. What right I now. went for, I shared once again with good friend of the podcast, Lucy James, and we were actually texting about this morning how good it was. We basically got the slow cooked lamb ragu pasta, Ooh. which was. Sensational. Uh, get yourselves down to Gloria in Shoreditch in London for maybe the best Italian food I've ever had. Anytime I go good. to Italian, I always can't resist the calzone because I feel like that's just something you don't so get anywhere else. They don't else. have one. What? So, <laughs> <laughs> it's fancy. Yeah. They had a few, calzone p- could be fancy. few pizzas and then just a few pasta options and God, it was good. I had to sadly leave them and get my last train so I didn't have time to get a tiramisu. <laughs> So I'm a bit annoyed by that, but I will be going back to that establishment. If anyone wants to go for a fancy Italian meal with me, 
you know where I am. <laughs> that sounded like I was asking anyone. Yeah, anyone email in. Email in if you want to. Will anyone, anyone go for a drink with me? <laughs> yeah. Anyone, anyone want to go for some uh, <laughs> slow, slow cuts lamb ragu? You know where I am. Um, I've got an email from Ross McKay who says, Afternoon, lads, and lass for Emma. Mm. We'll pass it on. <laughs> it goes, A fucking yogurt suggestion, you say? Lend me your ears. Mm. My fiance and I discovered an absolute sensation from Lidl recently. Milbona Greek-style coconut yoghurt. Oh my days. We saw it by chance in passing on the shelf and added it to the basket out of curiosity. Tried a bit when we... I love how we get the step-by-step <laughs> of how you buy something in a shop. <laughs> I know I know, I know, know how it works. Um, we tried a bit when we got home and the Lord is my witness, we didn't move from the kitchen until that tub was bone dry. Nice. <laughs> well, there we go. It was an absolute <laughs> fucking marvel. <laughs> I tell everyone about it when yogurt is mentioned. How often does that happen? <laughs> All the time. You, you have no idea how many times yeah. yogurt comes up in my life. <laughs> I tell everyone about it when yogurt is mentioned. <laughs> so it would be a travesty not to let you know at this juncture. I'm very glad you did let us know, Ross. Um, and that does sound good. I do like coconut flavoured things quite a lot, so I might, I might have to look out for some coconut yogurt. Um, also says, while we're at it, best dlc that absolutely mad hot wheels dlc they did for forza horizon 3 was a blast and totally came out of left field with its absolute craziness also not really dlc per se but i loved far cry far cry blood dragon Mm. which i guess is kind of pseudo standalone dlc of far cry 3 and is another wild ride i really like in general when dlc takes takes the main game and just goes utterly crazy with it to give you a new experience yeah respect the sea ross from glasgow I agree. That um, Forts always do really fun DLC. They did the Lego one as well, didn't they? For mm-hmm. four, I think. Um, I'm into that. Um, I never really finished. Uh, finished. I played a little bit of Blood Dragon. I wasn't totally into it. I know people do enjoy it though. Um, don't know if you're Blood Dragon boys or not. I've never played it actually. I don't know. Why. Just sort of random blind spot. And the problem is now you can only get it on certain generation of consoles. So. Um, isn't it? Aren't they doing a version of it with Far Cry Six? I think so. Yeah, because yeah, obviously that in, rings a bell. Hmm. I think the pre-order bonus for Far Cry Six comes with some kit for the right. game. That's got like the the pistol in Blood Dragon was like RoboCop's um, like machine gun yeah. pistol. Um, so I think there's that with it. But yeah, I'm sure I've seen around that they're doing like. You know when they did Far Cry 3 Classic Edition, yeah. which just put it on modern consoles, right? It was just a port. They might be doing that. It's good might, if it is, I definitely want to check it out because yeah. it just sort of it was a blind spot for me, and then the generation passed, and then it, I couldn't really get it anymore. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's like it's it's nonsense, and some of its jokes don't land as well as it likes to. But like as an idea, sticking Michael Bean as your main character and oh, just he? going oh, around, okay. and, yeah, and just <laughs> doing like it's full on like it's a hair metal like album cover with neon all over it turned into a far cry kind of game yeah. really it's bananas but it is good fun yeah cool. yeah good stuff i uh i'm excited for far cry since that's out next week isn't mm-hmm. it i'm gonna jump into that make sure you check a big old documentary idm made first before jumping into it yes do watch get that. you excited for it all about the villains of far cry from dale driver and Matthew <laughs> I will. I am going to watch that and enjoy it. Um, thank you for another entertaining podcast. I think this week 
we we have to play No Time to Die with Billie Eilish, don't we? Yeah, it, I think it, so. It's a logical send-off, because it is a banger. Let's mm-hmm. be totally honest. Turns out, she's a very talented musician. Who knew? And her brother. Yeah, who knew? <laughs> there we go. Let's play a bit of that. Goodbye. Bye. See ya. You wonder.